Hey guys, DJ here. This is a disclaimer. Applied Materials is a 100% non-profit, fan-made project set within the Orpheus Protocol game system. The Orpheus Protocol is an actual play podcast and tabletop role-playing game system created by Rob Stith and published by Varkalak Press. If you'd like to know more, please check out the main podcast at www.orpheusprotocol.com and patreon.com slash orpheusprotocol if you'd like to show more support for the main podcast. Thank you for your time, and please enjoy the following episode. Welcome to Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol actual play podcast. My name is DJ and I will be your host for tonight. On the cast list for our journey into the unknown, Ian as Leonard Johnson. Tonight's episode, Day in the Life, Part 2. Day in the Life contains violence, red string boards, conspiracy theories and sudden, immediate danger. Consider this your warning. Previously on Applied Materials Reeling from the chaos and mystery of the strange cabin in the Ocala National Forest, Leonard Johnson returns to family life in his home in Miami, Florida. But the call to action always finds a way into his life. We pick up with Leonard Johnson in his home in Miami, Florida. It's been a while since that fateful vacation you had out in the Ocala Forest. Finding that cabin, realizing that it was haunted, telling Orpheus about it, and figuring out a bunch of stuff that relates to a case that has been going on for a couple of weeks now. You know that this case is related to that plane you were on, and you've been asked to take it easy for a while, and you have. So it's been about two weeks-ish since you were at the forest cabin where you discovered all of that nonsense i i think the way i i was kind of picturing it was that uh following the ocala cabin debacle there was a bit of time that passed before the whole dream which led into uh the usb drive that the burned man gave to lenny so I, I, I would think it, it has been no more than a day or two since that happened. Um, and Lenny has, I mean, continued to go through that uh, information, which seemed to be about this guy, this case file that he had worked on. And I think even before he was with Orpheus, like when he was with the FBI, if I'm remembering correctly, like this guy who... Once again, if I'm remembering correctly, this guy who had lost family or a member of his family and had some kind of supernatural incident that like turned him invincible somehow, and he ended up being like lit on fire and shot by the police. And that was seemingly the guy Lenny had uh, met in the dream, who was trying to give him some kind of information to help him protect his family but anyways i think lenny has been very caught up in going through that case information trying to piece things together with what he remembers from when he was originally on that case you know in normal times he might be getting up to some hobbies and stuff but uh 
in the couple of days that have passed since the dream incident, he has just been very consumed by that. And when he hasn't been going through that information, he has kind of just been like anxiously staring off into space um, and trying to keep up with like all of the stay at home dad stuff that he's doing now, just like taking care of the kids and, you know, working on the garden, whatever. Um, but definitely very unnerved by the implication that there is some further threat to his family um, and that this being was visiting him in his dream to, to warn him about it. Yeah, it's been bothering you ever since that USB drive turned up in your pocket unannounced after that strange dream. And try as you might, despite your pre-existing connections with the FBI, you've got some friends who are still employed with them. You try and request as much information as you can about the case file that you have. Some people have asked you why, considering that you've been retired for the better part of, like, what, five, six years, even more from the FBI now? Yeah, I would think um, the timeline is kind of like, like, it's been a couple years since he left Orpheus, and he had been with Orpheus for you know, like half a decade. So yeah, it's probably been like seven or eight years since he worked for the FBI. And uh, yeah, like you say, he would definitely be calling people up, asking about this case, trying to figure out, you know, how this how this drive got to him. But yeah, it, it, he would be talking to people, trying to see what he could get. But, you know, when you haven't worked at the FBI for eight years, <laughs> Um, you no longer have access to any kind of privileged information. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if people were, if he, if he wasn't getting much more information than he had. Yeah, people have been asking around, basically, trying to figure out why you're suddenly requesting access into this case file, even though it's been almost a decade since you were last in an FBI uniform. And over a decade since this case was, uh, you know, top of mind relevant right yep it's it's not really been dominating your personal life you know that your family takes precedent and so you've also spent the better part of these two weeks just taking care of your kids being a good house a good faithful house husband to your wife who is still teaching if i'm not too terribly mistaken yeah she she is like a statistics professor so she's still very busy lenny's retired early he takes care of the kids takes all that stuff very seriously. So even, yeah, as freaked out as he is, as, you know, as um, kind of involved in this as he is, um, he, he wouldn't neglect, like, taking care of his kids or spending time with his family. But yeah, it's it, his family is probably very aware that he's being weird. He's probably talked to his wife about the uh, appearance of the weird thumb drive and all of that kind of stuff. I, th I feel like they're pretty honest with each other, but uh, yeah, it, he, he probably hasn't said a, a thing to the kids for sure. With your day job and your new job and that new job becoming your old job, you definitely have talked to your wife about some of the secrets that you have uncovered throughout your stay in the FBI and in Orpheus. And I think there is a moment when she approaches you in the kitchen probably after the kids are asleep it's some day during the week after you've told her about the usb drive and she can tell that it's been bugging you definitely you had she's noticed the eye bags she's noticed that you've been up at odd hours of the night pacing 
and you've been a little absent when it comes to interaction? I, I think it like not only the fact that this USB drive appeared through this very weird set of circumstances where yeah, it, it came to him in a dream and then it was there in real life, but also the contents of the, the case, like it almost depicts like Lenny's worst nightmare. Um, like, you know, something bad happening to members of his family, um, being unable to protect them. And just this, this clear implication from the conversation with the burned man that, uh, that there is some kind of clear present danger that he has to be ready for. It's, it's left him extremely, extremely on edge. And it's during one of those sleepless nights that you find yourself in your living room watching TV or perhaps working on your laptop. You don't want to bother your wife. She's already put the kids to bed. And so it is during this quiet time that you feel her hand resting on your shoulder. And Susan says, what are you doing staying up so late? I I don't know. I just can't sleep. I, uh, I'm not doing that much, honestly. I just keep feeling like there's something something I'm missing, something I need to remember about this case, about this this man. Uh, but I I don't know what it is. I don't know what I'm missing. Is this about that dream you had a couple nights ago? Yeah, it is. But uh, I don't even know if calling it a dream is the right word. I mean... I know it sounds crazy, but I, I'm pretty sure that that guy was real somehow. Like, we were in a dream, but I was actually talking to him. But, uh, I mean, it's not that much crazier than some of the other stuff I've seen, some of the other stuff we've both seen. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't want you to, to worry. I'm just, uh, just having trouble getting it out of my mind. Well. Worrying is part of my job, you know? I'm your wife, Lenny. I know. I know. Come on, get to bed. You can't have those ugly-looking eye bags under your eyes for the kids. Otherwise, you're going to look like you're 60. Yeah, you're right. I'm not, I'm not getting anything done by staying up worrying about it. So, yeah, I'll, I'll try and get some sleep. She gives your shoulder a little pat. And you can hear her footsteps going up the stairs to your bedroom. Yeah, I think Lenny follows her up to bed after maybe like a couple more minutes of just anxiously staring up into space. I suppose then you also make sure that the doors are locked, the windows are locked, the shades are drawn. For sure, yeah. Even more so than usual, like Lenny's worrying about this kind of stuff. So I I would think he would, uh, yeah check around the house, make sure everything's closed and locked up and safe before heading off to bed. And so another week passes by. You keep up with your daily routine, worrying over the information in this USB drive, but also taking care of your kids, Charlie, Kim, playing with them, taking them out every now and then for little excursions into the greater Miami area. I mean, yeah, whenever the kids aren't in school... Lenny's probably spending time with them, definitely trying to get them all to hang out outside. He's just one of those dads who thinks you should be playing outside instead of watching TV in our basement, even when the weather's fucking terrible. 
So why don't you roll me a luck check? Will do. All right, that's plus one on the luck check. Okay, so describe to me a day in this week where you've taken your kids out for some sort of outing or a trip around town. I think Lenny's taken his kids out for like... Oh, I, no, I, I was going to... Yeah, never mind. I was, I was going to say something else, but I think Lenny has taken his kids to the Institute of Contemporary Art, which I think they fucking hate, but he wants them to have culture. So he's taken them to this like modern art museum in Miami. Um, and they're, they've all sort of walked around there for a while. Charlie's probably complained a bunch about wanting to go do something else. Kim was probably more cool with it based on the, the personalities we've given them. And they spent a while there and then like, you know, walked along the uh, the waterfront nearby to the museum and, uh, you know, got some nice food together and stuff. Just having like very nice family time together. Yeah, like sort of near the end of the day when the kids are getting tired, they sort of get ready to just head back home, which I, I'm pretty sure they live in like the suburbs near Miami. So it's a little bit of a drive to get home. And so it is on the drive home from this day out that you feel your phone buzz in your pocket? I think um, Lenny will answer the phone over like the car's Bluetooth, uh, you know, speakerphone kind of system. Um, so he can talk on the phone while he's driving with the two kids in the back. As you press the little answer button on your car's center console, you can see that the caller ID is an unknown number. But by the time you realize that, you've already hit the answer key and a very familiar voice comes over your phone and it says, Hey Lenny, I, uh, I hope I'm not catching you at a bad time. And you slightly kind of recognize this voice. You know that it belongs to a kind of squat, slightly pudgy, but the muscled kind of pudgy man. And you know his name to be Asterius. You never knew this guy's real name, but you know that he is your friend Vlad's handler. Yeah, uh, Asterius. It's, I mean, it's, it's not the best time, but uh, I can talk. I mean, what's, what's going on? How are you doing? Wait, are you saying this over your... This is, this is, this is speakerphone. It's speakerphone in your I'm, car with your kids. I, I'm, in my, I'm in the car with my kids, but I, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't be paying super close attention. I, I guess I, I might say, like, you're, you're on speakerphone with my kids, but uh, I do think, like, Lenny would say, like, what's, what's up? Why are you calling? Asterius says, All right, look, Lenny, um, not to alarm you or anything, but I just received orders from the guy that's running the applied materials investigation. You know, the thing that you found out in the forest. Uh yeah, uh-huh. Um, maybe I should uh, call you back when I get home. Wait, are you... Are, am I on speaker? Yeah, just with the kids. Oh, um, well, say hi to them for me, I guess. They are, you, you have nice kids, Lenny. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll call you back in a few minutes. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon, Asterius. And he hangs up the phone. <laughs> Click. Charlie looks up at you, and you can catch his gaze from your rearview mirror as he says, Daddy, who is that? Lenny will ju just kind of to avoid any complicated questions he doesn't want to answer. 
he just says back to Charlie, oh, it's uh, no one, just an old friend from work. Oh, um, okay. And you can also see that Kim is giving you the stink eye in the uh, rearview mirror. She's suspicious. <laughs> yeah, I think Lenny will be fairly quiet the rest of the way home. Like, kind of just trying to conceal a pretty good amount of fear from the kids. Like, he, he doesn't think Asterius would be calling him just to say hi whatever's going on with the investigation and applied materials is, is it's probably not good news. Um, but I don't think he says too much the rest of the way home. The drive back home is quiet, tense, but it doesn't take too long. Thankfully you pull into the driveway and you can see that your wife, Susan is out in the yard, watering the grass, taking care of her flowers that she's planted in front of the porch. And as your car pulls into the driveway, she gives you a little wave. You turn off the engine. And the moment you unlock the doors, your kids bolt out of the car and just clamp onto your wife's body like, well, children. They, they've had enough of Lenny for the day. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, Lenny kind of returns the wave to Susan, but doesn't... Uh, doesn't really go over to like say hi or like catch up about the day and everything. Like um, he's a little bit, you know, tunnel vision focused on calling back Asterius. So just sort of waves as the kids run over to her and then like takes his phone up into the house, um, probably like up into an office upstairs and then uh, calls Asterius back. Yep. You leave your kids to your wife. You can hear her in the background asking your kids, where did you go? How was, how was your day? And your kids replying, it was boring, as you go upstairs with your phone. When you're in the second floor study, you lock the door, kind of draw back the curtains of your window and peer down at your wife playing with your kids in the yard as you speed dial the number that had just called you. And a moment later, Asterius picks up again and he says, all right, welcome back. You uh, in some place quiet. Yeah, yeah, I can. I mean, I, I can talk now. What's going on? Okay, good. So I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but Orpheus requires your services again, Lenny. What? Why? Why me? Why can't you, can't you get someone else? Well, you're connected to this whole case. Remember, you're playing. I know, but I shouldn't be. I fucking sorry. I retired. Asterius, I retired. I shouldn't be connected to all of this. It's not my job anymore. I get it, but right now we don't have any data analysts in the Orpheus base here in Miami. And, and unfortunately, we do need your help because we've got a lot of data you need to process with this investigation. There's been a lot of progress, actually. We've built what? up a pretty good case against applied materials, and I think the people in charge of the investigation are in need of someone to go through all the data so that they can have good reason to move forward with, say, corporate takeover or some other kind of violence against them. Uh, I mean, we're trying to help, you know, put everything behind us. But we need to take care of applied materials and make sure that they're in the ground before uh, we, any of us can have any closure. Yeah, yeah. I, uh... I'll, I'll do it. I mean... I'll come take a look at whatever you have. Um, don't get used to being able to ask me for favors like this, though. 
You'll but be compensated I, uh, handsomely. Don't worry. This wasn't my decision. This was the people in charge of this investigation. They decided that you needed to be compensated pretty dearly. And, well, given what you've been through, who could say no, right? I mean, I would have done the same thing. Either way, I've been... I haven't been getting a lot of sleep since since we found their base out there. I don't know. Maybe it would be good to figure out more about what the hell they're doing. Yeah. Plus, it'd be good to see a familiar face again in this place. I admit, Vlad has been good company, but he's a kind of a loose cannon nowadays. Not exactly purely loose cannon, but he's a teenager. He's bound to rebel sooner or later. You know what I mean? <laughs> I uh, I know what you mean. He's, I mean, he's always been a bit of a free spirit. He's a good kid, though. Yeah, he is a nice kid. Very nice kid. Like, I don't think there's ever been a time during his training where he hasn't talked about the potential he sees in your... in That he hasn't talked about the potential he sees in your son. I, I know that, contrary to what you told me, I think he's had a real good time babysitting your kids. I know, but let's just keep Charlie the hell out of this for now. Yeah, of course. Um, will it be alright with you if I assign you uh, temporary lodgings here in the base? I know you have a home out in the suburbs, but... Temporary lodgings? I mean, how long do you think this is going to take? A week, two weeks. We've got a couple of active investigations going on right now. Data is still streaming in, like, actively, so we need all the help we can get. Fine, fine. I'll, yeah, I can talk to Susan about it, but I should be able to come out there for a week if, if you need me. We can accommodate your family, too, if you don't want to be far away from them. Besides, they'll think it's just a, another little trip, you know? Visit your dad's old friend. Look at his workplace. Yeah, I don't really like the idea of bringing them along on this, but there's probably nowhere safer than Orpheus-approved lodgings. You got that right. Well, I suppose you got to break the news to your family, but you let me know when you're ready to move over. Yeah, I'll I'll talk to them, but uh, if I'm being honest, I, I don't want to wait on this. I want to get a look at whatever you need me to look at. I'll give you a call in the morning. All right. Thanks, Lenny. And I think Lenny just hangs up. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's about to say something and you hang up on him. And so you're, yeah, you're here in your office. I think Lenny lets out, lets out a very deep breath, just like, God damn it. Why am I doing this? Why can't I say no to these fucking people? Um, but he, you know, starts going through in his mind how he's going to sell this to Susan, like what, what he's going to tell the kids. I think he, he essentially comes to like, you know, kind of just pretend this is a fun little vacation and uh, let Susan know that as long as he's temporarily back working with Orpheus, um, they should probably all stay together. You know, it'll be safer for everyone and blah, 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 blah. But, uh, yeah, he's just sort of going through how he's going to frame everything. And then after not too long, goes downstairs to uh, to rejoin the family. I think at this point, your wife's brought 
Charlie and Kim back into the house. She's got Charlie sitting on her arm and Kim is holding her other hand and she says, Yeah, you were up there for a while, Lenny. Um, is anything wrong? Anything the matter? Or Yeah, we uh we should probably talk a little bit, but uh I think we uh, nothing. I I we should just, you know, talk just the two of us first. After dinner? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, good. I'll get to work making dinner then. Sounds good. And dinner proceeds apace. Your kids spend no shortage of time talking about all of the weird things they saw at that modern art museum down in the city. (laughs) Charlie in particular expressing his deep displeasure of how boring the whole place was. The hours pass... I was sitting over there, my voice breaking. The hours pass and... You find yourself in your living room again. The dishes have been cleared. The kids have been brought upstairs for bed. It's getting pretty late. And as you sit on the couch, kind of ruminating over the phone call you had earlier in the day, you feel a weight sit next to you on the couch. You look to your right and you see that it's Susan. She's got two glasses in her hands and you can see the dark amber liquid. It's not often that the two of you have a drink together, but it's usually on occasions when you are either in high stress or she is in high stress that the alcohol cabinet unlocks itself and becomes available to the two of you. And she can de- yeah, definitely tell, like, Lenny is pretty tense right now. But as soon, as soon as she sits down, I think a little bit of tension breaks as Lenny just starts talking. Um, he says, I... I don't know how to tell you this, but I, Orpheus needs my help with something. Um, it's all related to what we found at the cabin, what, what happened on the airplane. They, uh, they need my help. They need me to look at some computers, pour through some data. It should be safe. I'm still just going to be, you know, riding a desk. I'm not going to be out in the field. I'm not going to be doing anything dangerous, but uh, they just need my help to look at a few things for a week or two and then it'll all be over again. But I, I just think you and the kids should come with me and uh, stay at the Orpheus safe house with me while, while I'm working for them. Well, I was going to object about them putting you through some more nightmarish material, but I mean, from what you said, it's, just going to be a desk job for, what, a week? A week and a half, maybe? I, c- I can live with that, as long as they're not going to put you through the ringer again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, honestly, I I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to be on those computers that I'm looking at. I mean, could be something bad, but someone has to do it. And uh, I at least don't think I'm going to be in any more danger. Well, I meant more the physical ringer, but yeah, I get it. I mean, I'm okay with it. I don't know how okay with it the kids will be, but... They'll live. (laughs) I suppose they'll get to see a side of your work that they normally wouldn't see. I mean, okay, well, I suppose if you want to work it as a sort of thing, we're going to, what, like an office building or something? I honestly don't even know. I, (laughs) I didn't ask where they're putting us up, but... Well, we could say that this could be some sort of staycation in Miami. Go to some swanky hotel downtown and 
take them out for junk food and amusement parks for a week and a half until they get tired. Yeah, I will promise both of them not to take them back to another art museum, and I'm sure they'll be happy. Charlie was so furious with you for bringing him to such a boring place. Well, they'll they'll understand the value of this kind of thing someday. Lenny, Hun, sweetie, Charlie's six. He's he still doesn't understand why the sky is blue. You're you're right. But yeah, I guess you can take off work for a few days, take the kids to some amusement parks and uh other fun stuff while I am I'm doing whatever they need me to do. And Susan, I just I know I've said this before. I know it sounds less and less like I mean it every time, but I I really think this is going to be the last time I work with them. I just need to I need to make a clean break. I need to stop doing this to myself. She places a hand on yours and she says well, I mean, after whatever this stint is, if they continue to badger you, you can just tell them you want out, and they should honor that, right? <laughs> you would think. I already told them I wanted out two years ago, and look how this has gone so far. That's, yeah, that's fair, but still, one can only hope, right? That's what we can do in these trying times, hope. Yeah, and, uh... I don't know, it sounds like they really do need my help. And, well, if it sounds like they need help with whatever happened to us on that plane, and what you found out in the forest, well, I mean, it does kind of indirectly, directly involve us. Your family was still victim to whatever happened. and I know. And I would really like to be able to take a vacation that has nothing to do with any of this. Honestly, it did feel like our time out in the forest was a bit of a fluke, really. Sort of the whole planets aligned, stars aligned coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, when this is all done with, let's take another trip, just the four of us, and hopefully not think about Orpheus the entire time we're gone. Sure. Sure. You thinking overseas again or across the country? Um, might be a little while before I want to get on another flight, but we'll see. Maybe Costa Rica. Oh, I hear Costa Rica's nice in the uh, early parts of the year. Nice and sunny. Maybe I'll get a tan. And she chuckles, gestures to herself. You, you've known her to not be the tanning type. You've known her to be the skin-peely sunburn type. Yeah. Which is a, t a tough lot when you live in Miami, but it is what it is. So Lenny is probably the same. <laughs> I, I think he just, just laughs at that. Definitely seeming a bit more relaxed now. Like, at least we figured out what we're doing here. At least Susan is okay with all of this. Um, and I think he just takes like a big sip of the drink she handed him and says, all right, well... Uh, Mind if I leave it up to you to break it to the kids? If I, if I say it, I'm pretty sure they will assume we're heading to another art museum. As the two of you talk about more mundane things and enjoy your drink, eventually, near the end of the night, she pats you on the shoulder and says, It's getting late. I'm going upstairs to get to bed.
Yeah, I'll uh, be up in a minute. We're all in this together, Lenny. I know. Good night. Good night. I don't know if Lenny has any of this kind of stuff, but if Lenny has any sort of material he can look at that is related to what happened in, in the Ocala forest, um, what happened on the plane, I think he's going to stay up just a little bit and sort of pour over some of this stuff, just kind of refresh himself about everything. Um, but yeah, before too long, he heads upstairs to go to bed as well. You haven't been given any study material about what happened in the Ocala forest. As far as you know, that investigation was given over to another Orpheus handler. And mm -hmm. all subsequent mention of that trip wasn't shared with you because, well, you're retired and they didn't want to directly involve you again because you're retired. And this was literally a one in a million coincidence. Mm -hmm. And so after you had given your testimony, written that report, they cut you loose. And as far as you'd known, you probably didn't have to talk to anybody or facilitated ever again. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, kind of realizing there's not too much for him to study at the moment. Lenny will just go to bed. And so we return to Lenny about a day and a half later as you drive your family into the main city area of Miami. You've already told your kids the cover story that you're going to a swanky place to get a staycation. And you've agreed with your wife that she is going to check the kids in later, but you can basically secure your hotel room first and then you are going to check out the facilities that the hotel has the quote-unquote hotel okay for sure the orpheus miami base is sequestered in one of the few skyscrapers that are there their cover story is that they're a branch of the irs unfortunately which means there is a lot of office space a lot of cubicles and several floors of this tower building have been dedicated to Orpheus. Obviously, the other office workers here don't know that this place is a base for some secret spy organization. <laughs> yep. But it comes as little surprise to you that after you drop your wife and kids off for them to go and enjoy the sights and sounds of Miami City, you pull into the parking lot of this office tower and you find Asterius waiting for you in the parking lot. The man hasn't changed. He's still the same squat, kind of pudgy individual that you met in Ocala National Forest last month. Yes. I, I think I remember the, the description of Lenny just being that he is, like, obscenely tall and insanely skinny. Um, so that the, Asterius and Lenny together probably look kind of silly. Like, they both accentuate the other's physique just by how different they look. Lenny kind of like a little bit curtly says hi to Asterius and asks him, you know, where we're going, what we're doing. Asterius shakes your hand in the parking lot and he says, yeah, so uh, I'll show you upstairs to your quarters. Sounds good. You follow him into the building and take the elevator up to somewhere near the middle of the tower. The lodgings here resemble your typical kind of not swanky swanky but still kind of upscale hotel rooms mm -hmm. probably to 
sell the masquerade to any sort of civilians who might be here that uh, have only passing connections to Orpheus, like your family, witnesses, that sort of thing. Like a, a pretty business-like hotel. Not a lot of decorations. There's probably some modern art, maybe like a painting or something, just adorning a wall or a, a strange-looking statue of the, like a glob. <laughs> and Asterius shows you to a rather large suite, and he hands you a little key with a wooden tab on it, and he says, Okay, so this is where you and your family will be staying for the duration of your work here. That's pretty nice accommodations it's pretty swanky don't you think i would ask you if there is a secret base underneath this one but i'm pretty sure i already know there is <laughs> you and me both but yeah that's your room key just to you know maintain the illusion all that sounds good i can give you a few minutes to put down your bags get yourself settled and then i'll show you to your office Lenny literally just drops his bags on the floor and says, no, I'm, I'm good to go. I want to get started on this. Uh, oh, well, okay, then I'll have someone put those in your room for you. But yeah, follow me. He takes you back to the elevator. You go up a floor and you emerge into, I wouldn't say a stereotypical office space, but it is a stereotypical office space. It's a bunch of very drab looking cubicles, lots of computers, bunches of people sitting around in these cubicles working. But it's smaller than your average skyscraper office space. And you can also see a bunch of things more typical to Orpheus walking around. You can see over in the corner of the room, there is a cyborg, a man with a machine arm recharging his mechanical arm in a little purpose-built wall socket. And the little dregs of conversation that you can catch as you walk through this space following Asterius, are things related to other cases. Things like werewolves, sightings of UFOs, more cult activity going on in some backwoods part of the country. I think as, as Lenny is walking through, he just sort of says to himself under his breath, I'm back in the nuthouse, I guess. Whatever it is that you say, Asterius either doesn't hear it or he makes no mention of it. As he leads you to a corner office, doesn't has a door, big old window. It is rather Spartan. Uh, it is furnished in a rather Spartan manner. There is a single desk, your own coffee machine, and a water cooler in it, along with a very modern computer, a monitor, actually two monitors, big old keyboard, comfortable looking office chair. He taps on the door with his finger and he says, "Well, this is where you'll be for the next week and a half." I've Already set up a guest account on our intranet for you. You have access to our whole database. And the stuff on the desktop should be all of the files that we've gathered so far from the investigation. They've been sorted by each investigation and each incident as it happened. in Sorted in chronological order from left to right. So it shouldn't be too hard for you to find what you need. And, I mean, now that I'm here, what am I... What am I doing exactly? What am I looking for here? Is there like encryption on these files need me to break? Like, are, are we trying to find anything in particular? Well, it's more or less, we're trying to put together a jigsaw puzzle. You've got a lot of pieces, they're unsorted. I wouldn't say encrypted because some of the encryption has already been, I wouldn't say encrypted because what files we have been able to gather have already been decrypted by our folks out in the field. 
So whatever it is you find, it's not password protected. It shouldn't be locked. Everything should be just there for you. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to set up a bigger picture, if you will. We've got a lot of unsorted data, a lot of things that need to be connected to different places. And I know you have extensive experience in data analysis and using that sharp brain of yours to put things together. And honestly speaking, the guy that put me up to this, he just needs a fresh set of eyes on this whole thing. And the case is starting to stall. Like, we know Applied Materials have done a lot of shady shit in the past, but we don't know how much of it is linked to them and how much of it is linked to their subsidiaries. So we need dirt on all of them. We need to figure out what the fuck they're doing in the event that this becomes complicated in the legal sense. And so, well, we need your help. You have first-hand experience. You could definitely apply your expertise to figuring out if there are any connections that we missed already. Well, I'll do my best. Just start looking and see what patterns I can find. He pats you on your shoulder and he says, I'm just down the hall. If you need anything, you can find me. Sounds good. And uh, Lenny will just walk over to the desk and sit down. And uh, I think before before even sort of checking to see if Asterius is gone, he's just going to open up the first folders of, of data on the computer and just start looking at what he's dealing with. Okay. As you sit down and power up the computer, turn on the monitor, get yourself settled in, you find that on the desktop is a single folder labeled Applied Materials Investigation. When you open it, you see a series of folders that have been organized by timestamp and location from the start of the investigation all the way up until present day. So you can see that these timestamps span about a month and a half. And these locations, wow, they really run the gamut. You can see that the first folder is labeled as plain black box data which you can reasonably assume is the data from all of those strange flights that you've heard about in this investigation, including yours. Right next to the folder that says planes is another folder labeled as Okala Forest. Mm -hmm. The next folder is then labeled Hexadyne Industries. The folder after that is labeled Hanover Bridge. Okay. The folder after that says Stark Contrast Media. After that, the next folder says Hanukainen Mining. The next folder on your list reads Oil Rig Data. And then there are two more folders that say Mirni Investigation and then Hanover Bridge Part 2. And Hashima Island plus Hanover Bridge. Okay. There are a lot of folders here. There are, yeah. Where do you want to start from? I think, like, the first thing Lenny needs to do is give an initial read through all of this material before, like, before he starts, like, you know, trying to pull out data and establish patterns. Like, he needs to know what the hell he's even dealing with. So I think just from the top, he's going to go through each folder and, like, identify what files are in there, like, what they're talking about, just on a surface level, like, you know, what, what, what's gone on with each of these. Like, they, they basically mostly seem to correspond to locations, 
although there's a few that are sort of different things. But yeah, just kind of trying to establish what he's working with. Since he doesn't really know exactly what he's looking for, other than patterns of like incriminating behavior on the part of applied materials, he is really just going to start looking through all of this material in detail. But I think the first thing he's going to look at is the uh, data about the airplanes, um, the black boxes, all that kind of stuff, um, before kind of moving on to just go through all of these folders. Yeah, find what he's what he's looking at and then start trying to establish patterns across all of these events at all these different locations and everything. Lenny will probably start with the folders on the airplanes and the uh, Ocala National Forest, kind of, you know, first going into the stuff that he was directly connected to and then moving on to everything else about Hashima Island, Hanover Bridge, the mining company, all of this other stuff. There's a lot to go through, but the first thing he's got to do before he can properly investigate, he just needs to, to read all of the information that he has. You open up the plane folder and you can see that there are six folders here that have been date and time stamped across a two to three week period in mid to late October. And you recognize one of the dates and times as that flight you were supposed to have that was going to Frankfurt. And when you open up one of these folders, you can see that there are a bunch of text files here, mostly reports written by the off-duty Orpheus agents that were on said flights, along with logs from the plane, along with transcripts of the information from the black boxes of all of the affected planes. They've been organized by flight number, by plane, date and time, obviously. And... Is Lenny just seeing that the same thing that happened on his plane happened on all of these flights? Or is it more various stuff, like different crazy shit happening to each flight? The crazy shit is different for each plane, but you can see that for some reason it's been consistently happening just onboard planes as they're mid-flight. Uh, out of character, I would like you to make a note of this because this is pertinent information that I will need you to make a check for further down the line. Okay, yeah, just to remember that, uh, you know, it's different stuff that's been happening on each of these flights, always kicking off um, mid-flight. And from what I remember, the um, airplane itself had been made with materials that were mined and extracted by applied materials, right? Well, yes, actually, as you recall these details, Lenny, it sort of jogs your memory that you had initially learned from the Frankfurt flight that this plane had been made with stuff that had been mined and sourced and manufactured by applied material subsidiaries. And is that the same with all the other flights? Yeah, yeah, it is. That isn't startling or scary at all. Yeah, it's not, I, I, I think it's, it's definitely weird. Um, and like you said, a little startling, a little bit scary. But when Lenny goes through each of these files, um, makes that connection... You know, like a pretty wide smile spreads across his face as like he realizes he's starting to establish patterns. He's start, starting to get into this investigation. Um, and as much as he doesn't want to admit it to himself, he enjoys the feeling of figuring out stuff like this. He doesn't doesn't want to let himself get back into it, but he enjoys it. Um, so it's, he starts 
smiling. He starts getting a little bit more enthusiastic as, like I said, he's starting to figure some stuff out. You continue reading through these plane files. You can see that a lot of the other agents have reported similar, but not always too similar incidents that happen on board these flights. You see mention of a plane that was trapped in a time loop where it constantly crashed over and over again until the agents on board figured out how to stop it. You read a report about another plane that had some sort of undead virus spread on board. It was turning the passengers into zombies. And the more records you dig into, the more horrifying it gets. And I would and I would like you to roll me a horror check, please. For sure. I think as Lenny's going through this, he's starting to realize that maybe he had it easy with his flight. Maybe he could have been on a worse one. You hazily remember the details of that flight to Frankfurt and the strange soul-eating ghost slime that was sort of covering the entire plane. But man, zombies and repeated plane crashes, that sounds worse than ghost slime. Oh, there is far worse as you're digging through (laughs) these records. But my horror check with a plus one on the dice, five cognition will just be a six. You pass, standing to lose four preventable sanity damage. As you continue reading through these reports and you find mentions of a plane whose co-pilot was complicit in whatever incident that happened and they were making the plane eat the passengers? Ah! There was another plane who was... There was another plane where one of the passengers was a scientist carrying some sort of weird mineral sample that mineral sample got loose and started to transform the plane into stone and integrating people into the rocks. So I think as as Lenny is reading through all this, and I, I will be just um, spending some mental strain to prevent the sanity damage from this, but as Lenny's reading through all this, I think the impression that he's getting is that not all of this, not all of these events were totally deliberate it almost seems like reckless unethical experiments that are repeatedly getting out of hand rather than like someone deliberately setting up all of these horrible situations on these planes if that makes sense it does make sense yes as you skim these initial files you realize that maybe some of these are intentional some of them are very definitely intentional but it appears that most of them weren't actually intentional. Like it's they weren't that... meant to, to lead to as many deaths as they did, that kind of thing. You kind of established that a lot of these incidents, although very horrible and very tragic, were also incidents under circumstance. Very coincidental, one in a million sort of deal where you imagine that this, the statistics of something happened, the probability of something happening like this is about the same amount of probability as an actual plane crash. Yeah, but they are all connected by applied materials. They're all connected by supernatural, impossible events. So it can't just be purely an accident or a coincidence. It's like someone is setting up circumstances under which this sort of thing continues to happen. But it's not just like some kind of weird 
supernatural terrorism or something like they're not just constantly trying to kill tons of plane passengers or something it's more just like these supernatural forces are repeatedly getting out of hand there were two reports from differing planes where you recall the one plane that had the co-pilot that was complicit in the whole thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you read another report from another group of agents where they had to combat a bunch of other Orpheus agents that were on the flight, or at least that is what the reports from the off-duty team on board that flight, well, that's what they said was happening. There was some sort of weird mimetic agent on board that flight that was apparently turning some of these off-duty agents against each other, which is weird. But that's about the only things you can find through these plane reports that indicates people were complicit in whatever strange supernatural shit that was happening on board those flights. All of the rest, including yours, felt like some sort of strange, bizarre accident. And I, I think beyond that, it suddenly dawns on Lenny that like all of these Orpheus agents on these flights, whether they are agents in training like Vlad or retired like him or actual active duty Orpheus agents, um, none of them were sent on these flights as a mission to like investigate what's going on in this flight or whatever. It just happens that all of these events have had Orpheus agents there for them, which kind of makes it seem like if Applied Materials is deliberately setting up these circumstances over and over again, whether it's to conduct some kind of experiment or to harvest people somehow, it kind of seems like they're deliberately doing it when there are Orpheus agents around. Because every single one of these reports of an incident involves Orpheus agents being there. So it kind of seems like, yeah, either either it is just happenstance, giant coincidence, or whoever was kind of directing all of this shit knew that there would be Orpheus agents there. Certainly feels that way. However, you're not sure yet. Yeah, but th- these are just, you know, connections and patterns he's starting to think about. But having, having gone through all of the files about the flights, he is just sort of shuddering a little bit to think about, like, what would have happened if he and his kids had been on the flight with the fucking zombies. <laughs> but, yeah, once he's gone through that, he will move on to the files about the Ocala National Forest and then on to the rest of the stuff that isn't directly connected to him. You open up the folder that is labeled Ocala Forest, and you can immediately find the report that you yourself wrote after the initial incident happened. It's the thing that jumps out at you the most, as well as you can also see that there are reports written by Asterius and Vlad, along with a cleanup crew whose transcripted investigation of the facility that you found underneath your cabin And you can also find a transcript from the cleanup crew sent to document and secure your cabin plus the underground facility that was found underneath there. Okay, so I I have a question about this. Um, Yep. What what was the name of the guy that we found in the uh, capsule below the base who appeared to be a fucking time traveler? What was his name again? We were down there with Evelyn Pierce, or Evelyn, and... I remember her calling him by a name. I think it was Jimmy. His name is Jimmy. 
I, I'm just curious what these official reports say about this stuff. Like, if if they say anything about what Evelyn's been doing, where she is, like, if they say anything about the the time travel capsule, like, all of this stuff, like, what what is established about all of this in these official reports to Orpheus because we did do our best to, to hide that stuff. <laughs> so you read through the transcripts that the cleanup crew wrote and you find that a lot of the stuff that they found matches your memories of the event. The strange doorway, the computer that you hauled upstairs from the lab, the entire lab space underneath the cabin. And then it gets to the part where they investigate the strange lowest sublevel where you found that weird time-traveling man named Jimmy in a bunch of broken glass. Mm -hmm. They report that the broken glass is there along with some blood, but they were unable to identify whose blood it was along with the reason why all that glass was there. Mm -hmm. Later, lab analysis was able to identify the blood as human. However, the equipment that Orpheus used to analyze these blood samples was unable to identify anything more than it being just human due to some error in the genetic makeup of those cells. Unidentifiable. Interesting. So, okay. And throughout that transcript, along with Evelyn's own report of the incident, you don't see any mention of that strange man named Jimmy. For sure. And does any of this indicate, like, what Evelyn's been up to in the last month or so? Like... Did she disappear along with Jimmy or is she still, you know, active and reporting to Orpheus? You're not entirely sure. Like this report dates to when she originally helped you with this case. And you you have access to the Orpheus internet. You can just look up Evelyn Pierce. I think I'll do that. I, I The fact that she wrote an official report about what happened does indicate to me that she probably didn't just disappear right after, but... Lenny will check up on that. Um, you know, to, to the extent that he has access to the information, he will look through the Orpheus internet to see, like, where has she been and what has she been doing since this all happened about a month ago. Okay, why don't you roll me another luck check? Nice, I got a plus two on the dice. I've been rolling pretty well today. With a two, you are able to find Evelyn's personnel record here in Orpheus. It lists her as an active duty agent without assignment right now. You also find a bunch of her personal information, where she works, what's her social security number, her blood type, religion, address, a lot of private stuff that you probably shouldn't be looking into, but it's there in the Orpheus database. You briefly wonder if you have your own record of this sort. Yeah. I think Lenny is going to... I mean, he would assume that they have the same kind of record about him, Um, but he's going to... Make a mental note of Evelyn's phone number because he is going to try and get in contact with her to figure out a little bit what has happened with Jimmy and everything, you know, since everything went down. He'll try and get in touch with her later on, but probably won't do that in the Orpheus offices because just doesn't want to be over here, overheard talking about stuff that he is deliberately hiding from Orpheus. Yep, that tracks. You jot down her phone number in your phone, and that's done. Now what? Yeah, unless there's anything else in these reports that, uh, you know, adds on to what Lenny already knew about what happened out there, he will move on to the next uh, next set of folders. 
So the next folder after the Ocala Forest folder is Hexadyne Industries. As you open up the folder, you can see that it contains three reports written by three agents whose names you do actually recognize from a previous flight. This flight in particular was one that had been trapped in a time loop. You briefly remember? Yes. The initial reports of this particular incident seems to involve a company called Hexadyne Industries. You read into the report a little bit and you can see that it is a tech startup company that is headquartered in Johannesburg, South Africa. And the investigation involved three Orpheus agents that had been basically implanted in that company as sleeper agents up until the point where they were needed, at which point they were activated and their investigation started. And you can see that there is another zip file here of... And you can see that there is a zip file here labeled hexadyne server data. And you can see that in the report, it's mentioned that this zip file contains pretty much all of the data pertinent to the investigation that was pulled from this company's servers before, according to the report, the building was locked down. And then a bunch of PMCs started to surround the building and insisted on the staff of the building to kill each other so that they could get out or something. There are mentions in the report from a Chihiro Omoi that she had come into contact with some greater being in specifics for the report. You can see that she wrote down that she had met this thing, person, deity, creature called Anansi and made a deal with it to gain more control over the building's security. You can also see that from a report written by an Adam Clearwater that the PMCs eventually resorted to using military helicopters to keep people inside, to which this Clearwater man responded by destroying the helicopters. Mm -hmm. They were eventually able to end the lockdown and save a bunch of people from being killed unnecessarily. And then they were evacuated by helicopter by Orpheus and sent to Japan. Okay, so this is obviously like a pretty fucked up incident on its own merits. But is there any indication that there was a, like a direct connection to applied materials from what I'm seeing here? Like it was Hexadyne Industries or the, uh, the military contractors directly connected to applied materials? So you learn that these PMCs go by the name of Black Steel Industries. And you make a note in your own report. You do a bit of Googling on them and you learn that they are a private security contractor based in America whose leader apparently is a war veteran of some kind, but whoever they are or what war they served in, no one really knows. The whole hierarchy of that particular company is very secretive. They have been advertised as one of the tightest knit and closely kept secrets of the private security world. Hmm. No one really knows what their command structure is like or who hires them, what their pay is, or where they're dispatched to. All that the internet by and large knows is that their signature are soldiers that are heavily armed, always clad in black. Doesn't matter what region of the world they're in. Doesn't matter what equipment they use. It's always colored black with no identifying logos or patches 
some of the internet debate says that they fit the bill for some privately owned faceless army of like clone soldiers or something, but you're not sure. <laughs> it's all it's all rumors and hearsay and you're not able to find any real public documents detailing what goes on with Black Steel. But you learn that they are American by founding and they are based here in America somewhere. It is just not directly mentioned where. And so, yeah, like it, it, based on that, I wouldn't be able to figure out easily whether or not they were hired by Applied Materials or anyone connected to them. You actually see in the initial report that Chihiro made that as she was pulling data from the Hexadyne Industries servers, that she found a bunch of accounting data that linked a bunch of very prominent public companies to Applied Materials, one of which was actually Blacksteel. You find inside the zip file, a few receipts from Applied Materials to Blacksteel, payment for services, presumably. You're not quite sure what, because these receipts are merely payments. They're not actually detailed reports or acquisitions or personnel mm-hmm. rosters, that sort of thing. Okay, and but it does seem like Applied Materials has paid them to do something. Yes. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so we, I mean, we know that there's a solid chance Applied Materials is behind these military contractors who wanted everyone in the building to kill each other. Um, Is there any indication in the reports that were made by the agents or anywhere else, like what the motive for wanting everyone to kill each other was? Like if it was a ritual of some kind or, you know, like I, I could think of a lot of things it possibly could be, but is there any indication of what they were trying to do why don't you roll me an investigation check with your perception sure okay i'm gonna take a plus one on the dice and spend three strain to make that a seven with a seven you dig deeper into the zip file full of accounting data that was pulled from the hexadine servers and you find mention in an email that the whole thing was supposed to be some sort of sacrifice for something you're not quite sure what but the intent was for all of the personnel in that office building to eventually die anyway regardless of if they killed each other or if the pmcs killed them sorry so you said that was on hexadyne's email servers um did did you mean black steel or did hexadyne know that this was going to happen in advance with the way these emails were worded it appears that hexadyne were told in advance mm-hmm Roll horror, please. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there will be a, a variety of fun horror checks for me to roll during this investigation. This is what I was talking to Susan about. All right, that is a minus one on the dice. So five, with my five cognition, that'll be a four total. You pass, standing to lose three preventable. Okay. Yeah, the implications are chilling. This accounting company apparently knew beforehand that their employees are going to be just killed mercilessly and senselessly, and they agreed to it. And I, I don't get any strong indication of what they were being sacrificed to, just that it was a sacrifice. Yep. I think that that triggers in Lenny's mind the idea that um, some of the, or possibly all of the incidents on the airplanes could have also been a sacrifice of some kind. Like, a, I guess there's two theories about what what was going on with the airplanes at this point would be like a continued ongoing program of 
highly unethical supernatural experiments, or B, a series of attempts to sacrifice people to something or some array of things. But uh, he's, he can't be, can't be really sure at this point. Although right now, it definitely looks like there is at least enough evidence to implicate applied materials as a company in hiring these private military contractors to do some extremely illegal shit in that they were trying to force people to kill each other. But yeah, I think that is all of the, all that I can really learn for now about the Hexodyne incident, right? Without going deeper, yes. I actually, I'm a little curious, actually, what, like, I guess you, you said that there was a report from Agent Chihiro Omoi about making this deal with this otherworldly entity called Anansi. Do I know anything from that report about what the deal entailed, or if Chihiro learned anything in particular from Anansi? According to Chihiro, the deal that she made with Anansi was that she would serve as his eyes in the open world, and in return, he would lend her some of his know-how and his knowledge. Okay, did she share anything about what that knowledge was about, or is that, uh, is that not available to me? It's not that it's not available to you. It's more like, in return for her becoming his eyes and ears out into the open world, she could use him as a sort of supernatural sounding board for her own ideas, if you will. Okay, okay, I, I, I see what you mean. Then yeah, I think Lenny will move on to the next, uh, next group of files. The next folder that you open comes from the Hanover Bridge. You know that this is one of two folders about the Hanover Bridge. Uh, this is the initial Yeah, one. the other one being connected to Hashima Island. Yes. Okay, so yeah, I'll, I'll read through the information that I have on the Hanover Bridge. You skim the files and learn that the Hanover Bridge is a cargo ship owned by a global shipping company called Greenwich Global Shipping and Logistics. They are a very public and kind of high-profile shipping company whose ships travel several of the more high-profile and lucrative shipping routes around the world. Very above-board stuff. However, the Hanover Bridge apparently had gone out of contact over a week period, and then it showed up about a week after it was initially reported missing, floating off the southwest coast of Japan with no crew, completely unresponsive, engines dead, just floating there in the ocean. God, I, okay, I'm not totally up on my geography here. Is the South China Sea adjacent to Japan? Yeah, it's in between Japan and mainland China. And uh, That's Korea. what I thought. Okay. Well, that explains a little bit, but, you know, there's, there's more to get into here. So were Orpheus agents sent to investigate the ship? Yes, actually. Okay. Is there, are there reports in here about what they found? And also importantly, were those agents previously on one of these flights? Yes, actually. So the report states that the ghost ship was found originally by the Japanese Coast Guard. They attempted to hail the Hanover Bridge, got no response. And originally it was just going to be a Coast Guard-related matter. They were going to investigate the ship, close the case, that sort of deal. Very mundane. 
not really out of the ordinary until the Hanover Bridge's name was found in the documents pulled from the Hexadyne Industry servers that were being investigated by the previous team. So an Orpheus team was dispatched to the Hanover Bridge to conduct an initial investigation and determine whether or not any of those rumors had any sort of merit. And you can find that these three agents, Jesse Lale, Adrian Newman, and Dylan Jameson, were each on board a previous incidental flight where stuff happened aboard the plane. They were not on the same flight, but they were on, but each of them were on one of those flights. Okay. And did they find anything about why the Hanover Bridge initially disappeared? Were they ever able to explain like where the crew went or you know, yeah, why it disappeared and reappeared where it did? This initial report doesn't tell you much about why the ship disappeared or how or where the crew ended up. But you learn that the crew were taken by some sort of strange entity that was kind of formless, too fast to follow, and that the ship itself was actually some sort of containment vessel you read in this initial investigation report written by Dylan Jameson that the center of the ship contains some sort of altar and containment cell that was then surrounded by a bunch of these weird anchors that his cellmate Adrian found when he was pushed into the liminal space on board the ship. Anchors like, um, not not literal ship anchors, like... Uh things that were tethering whatever was being contained to to where it is yes okay so i mean it it would it would make sense that whatever was being contained on the ship probably is the same entity that took all of the crew and absconded with them (laughs) it would be a reasonable assumption yes you do read in the report that some of the lifeboats on board the container ship were missing at the time of the team arriving on board the ship. Mm, Okay. And the investigation itself was very preliminary and rushed due to the fact that the situation on board the Hanover Bridge was still developing. And so after a bit of time was spent rescuing their cellmate from the liminal space and bringing him back to the real world, they were then told to get off the ship and head to Hashima Island to rendezvous with another team. Okay, so... By my understanding, Hexadyne Industries knew about the Hanover Bridge and possibly like knew about what was going to happen to all of the people on the Hanover Bridge, which is why the agents were sent out there. Out there, they found, obviously, the crew is missing. The ship had some sort of alternate purpose as like a containment vessel for some kind of entity that required anchors to contain it placed in the liminal spaces and after almost losing one member of the cell getting them back they left the ship behind to rendezvous with people on Hashima Island yes okay and I think Lenny is starting to connect what happened at Hexadyne Industries with what happened on the Hanover Bridge like the the fact that the people at Hexadyne Industries were being sacrificed to something and the fact that uh on the hanover bridge it seems like people were taken away by some kind of entity i guess he's he's thinking it could be 
possible that whatever is on the Hanover Bridge is the thing that people at Hexadyne were actually being sacrificed to? That makes sense. Um, it makes sense, at least right now. It's a very tentative connection, but you do still pin it down as a potential connection in any case. You're not quite sure if it's actual connection or anything, but, you know, can't be too sure. And is Lenny able to find, um, either in these files or by doing further research, can he find any kind of connection between Greenwich shipping lines and the other three corporate entities that have already been implicated here, either Black Steel Industries, Hexadyne Industries, or Applied Materials itself? Like, is Greenwich shipping lines directly connected to any of those three corporations? You only find evidence that Greenwich Logistics is connected to Applied Materials in some way, shape, or form, owing to the fact that this shipping company has been contracted to carry out, well, shipping and logistics jobs for Applied Materials. It's not specified what sort of shipping jobs, but you assume that since the public face of Applied Materials is of a raw materials processing company, that it would involve the shipment or the movements of different kinds of raw materials, probably unprocessed ore or some other form of raw materials like crude oil or natural gas. And with the private face of Applied Materials being a billion times more sketchy, that makes Lenny think that it's possible Applied Materials was responsible for this ship having this otherworldly liminal entity imprisoned aboard. But that is that is just conjecture at this point. But Lenny will move on to the next file in, in the sequence, whether that would be uh, Hanover, Bridge, Hashima, or, or something else. The next file in the sequence on the timeline is an investigation into a mass media company called Stark Contrast Media. This investigation was apparently carried out by a bunch of American Orpheus agents, including a name that you recognize. You see Caspian Smythe III as one of the three agents that were registered as undergoing that particular investigation. I think Lenny gives a, another little smile of familiarity on seeing that name. He's glad to see that Caspian is still kicking, considering that Caspian saved him and his family's lives. The investigation carried out into Stark Contrast Media was basically kicked off, again, through more receipts of contracts being paid by Applied Materials into Stark Contrast Media. From a little bit of Google work, you find out that Stark Contrast are essentially a mass media and advertising conglomerate. They comprise of several rather large advertising and production houses, and they are all owned and managed by a single woman. The lady is named Morgana Desidia Evanston, and the stuff about her life is very high profile, very public. She essentially was an advertising graduate who worked her way from the bottom to the top in a man's world and became the first the advertising director and then the CEO of Star Contrast Media when she first joined their company a couple of years ago. She's been a high profile success story in terms of women in the advertising space. But you know that from these receipts that you're looking at, that Stark Contrast is definitely up to no good. Especially when you read the report written by Caspian and the fact that he found some real sketchy shit underneath their 
headquarters in LA. Mm. You skim through the reports and you find that Caspian and eventually the rest of the cell found that they were holding people underneath their production house and their brains were wired into some sort of computer. There's a bunch more data here that was pulled from the servers in Stark Contrast Media, but what you skim tells you that, yes, Stark Contrast were up to no good and they were kidnapping people for use in some sort of weird brain-computer thing. Okay, so the, there's no real indication of what they were doing to these people beyond that they, they were captive and they were wired up to these machines? Yes, at least that's what you know just by skimming through these reports and not digging deeper into the details. Okay, I, I, I think this one, my only real question is whether or not Stark Contrast has any connection to the you know handful of companies that we've talked about so far. Like if they've worked with Hexadyne, Applied Materials, Black Steel, or uh, Greenwich Logistics. Uh, without having to roll any investigation checks, because I can just take the one that you rolled earlier, you find that the biggest profile work that Stark Contrast have done for any of these other companies is advertising work for applied materials. Mostly advertising related to their company being, you know, eco-friendly, caring for the environment, putting the resources that they gather into sustainable living, that sort of deal. They've also apparently worked on a lot of advertising work for some of the more public companies in this strange network of related companies. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing they aren't advertising for Black Steel, but Greenwich and Hexadyne could make sense. They didn't do advertising work for Hexadyne or Black Steel, but they did more advertising work for Greenwich, along with a bunch of other companies underneath the Applied Materials umbrella. Okay. It looks like a lot of the work... It looks like pretty much all of the work that Stark Contrast does is related to advertising or marketing in some way. Except for the bit where they kidnap people and wire them up to machines in their basement. Yes. Okay. And um, were there any casualties among their captives? Like, had they killed anyone through whatever they were doing? Or were these people all found alive? According to Caspian's report, they were found alive but insensate. Like, they were in some sort of coma okay interesting i think lenny will move on to the next the next folder then at this point i was just gonna say he's starting to uncover a very broad pattern here that there's all of these companies that are working together and on the surface they all have legitimate business and they all have legitimate reasons to be working with each other but at the same time they are all clearly connected to shady supernatural dealings <laughs> that it's it's still not clear what the end game of any of this is just that they are all connected by being <laughs> uncovered to be doing shady supernatural shit but anyways go go on ahead <laughs> the next folder that you opened relates to an investigation carried out by some European Orpheus agents into a Finnish mining company called Hanukainen Mining. From initial Googling, you know that it is a legitimate mining company, and you read into the report written by the European agents and find that they were tasked to infiltrate the mine under the guise of safety inspectors and then to uncover whatever nonsense 
was being carried out on the grounds to determine if this mining company was in fact a legitimate mining company or if they had some sort of shady shit and shady dealings going on with Applied Materials because this mining company did show up as a subsidiary of Applied Materials, a direct subsidiary. Interesting, yeah. So that's definitely the most direct connection we've seen between any of these companies. So what were they being investigated for by these Orpheus agents? So you read a report written by an Erke Lindstrom who, together with his teammates, found out that this mining company was drilling into the earth to harvest some sort of strange black crystalline ore type substance that was being carted out in droves. And then the shipping of such was being handled by, you guessed it, Greenwich Global Shipping and Logistics. Okay, so they were mining strange black ore. Was it, was it identified in any way or is it just like an unknown substance? It was actually identified. It was actually identified by Erki, who, according to this report, was also a medium of some sort, able to touch objects and then determine their history. He conducted a psychic reading of this strange black ore. They managed to sneak out a sample during the course of their investigation. And he found that, well, it was the congealed dried blood of a dead god. (laughs) Roll horror, please. What the fuck? Yeah, that that that's worth a, a whole new horror check. Having nothing to do with uh, Jesus, the congealed dried blood of a dead god. That's fun. I'm gonna take a plus one on discipline and spend two strain to make that an eight because I I wanna I, I don't yeah I think this this could be a bad one. <laughs> you pass, standing to lose five preventable, and I would also like you to roll me a breakdown check, please. Sounds good. Will do. That's a minus one. (laughs) Fight, flight, or freeze? I think what would make the most sense here would be freeze. Like, Lenny's ability to continue this investigation is halted for a little while while he just, like, repeatedly rereads those words just over and over again. Like, dried blood of a dead god dead god dead god he's like what the fuck does this even mean and like a fair amount of time passes with him just like frantically trying to figure this out internally and coming up completely short like i don't think it would necessarily make sense for him to run away or try to fight something since he's alone in an office right now i i think he utterly freezes up as the words like blood of a dead god being in this report just completely shatter his his sense of uh, safety and reality. And so you find yourself started out of this reverie sometime later. You don't know how long, but you hear a knock on your door and that sort of jolts you out of this strange, panicked, frantic state that you're in. Who's, who's knocking at the door? You peer over your monitor and you can see that it is Asterius. Okay. There's just, I just had a couple more questions before um, Lenny's done investigating for the moment. So I think as as Asterius is knocking, Lenny sort of puts up one finger to just look back for a second. First off, is there any possible indication that this ore, this dried blood, was used in the construction of those airplanes? Like, is that one of the materials? Or what is that one of the materials that Applied Materials was using to construct these airplanes? 
you're not sure. There wasn't enough data pulled from the Hanukainen mining database that was an indication of what this ore was being used for. You know that it was being harvested and shipped out from that particular spot in Finland, but none of the data either pulled from any databases or reports mentions its use. Okay, and did this agent who determined that it came from a dead god, like, were they able to figure anything out about that being, about that dead god, like, what or who it was, how it died, like, anything like that? According to Agent Lindstrom's report, the blood that came from that mine belonged to an old Finnish god called Ukko. And apparently, according to Finnish mythology, Ukko is a god of the earth. No mention was made in the report about how this particular god died, but from the psychic reading he did of this crystalline substance, he was able to determine all of that. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think I think after sort of looking back to see what he could see about those couple of things, Lenny will sort of wave Asterius in. Asterius opens the door and he says, uh, "Lenny, you you okay? It's been it's been hours." I know. I sorry. I I know. Um, there is just a lot here, a lot to process. I mean, <laughs> don't want to sound crazy but i i definitely think you guys have uncovered a vast nefarious conspiracy here i just i still can't piece together what this all means i mean i can promise you i have already figured out at least half a dozen ways to directly connect applied materials to crimes against humanity i don't even know um but i still don't know what they're doing or why or how but i guess i've still got more time to figure that out i still got more files to go through yeah well that's what we're paying you for anyway it's good that you're here i admit i read through some of those files myself and some of the things that i saw didn't really make any sense to me it's good that you're finding these connections but uh like i said it's been hours and i think your family's downstairs looking for you yeah i'll i'll go see them i don't even know what to say i I'm glad you brought me in on this. I mean, don't take that as an indication that I want to come back full-time or anything, but I'm glad to be working on this. Feels like a sort of closure, doesn't it? No, not at all. Not even a little bit. But it could lead to closure. Then at least you're figuring out stuff. Horrible stuff. But it's important. All of this is important, I promise. I can see that. But anyway, it's late. Go and be with your family, Lenny. You can resume this tomorrow. And while you're at it, try and get something to eat. Ever since I showed you to your workspace, you've been stuck in there for hours and hours. People have gone out to eat lunch and dinner, and you've still been in here. Yeah, you're you're probably right. I should, uh, yeah, get some food in me and get some sleep so I can get back to this tomorrow. Yeah, you do that. I'm still going to stay here. I've got some stuff to write up. Unrelated, trust me. But yeah, I'll I'll still be here. If you need me, I'm a phone call away. Um, same here, I guess. He nods, pats you on the shoulder, and says, "You're doing good work, Lenny." Yeah, I guess I guess I am. This has been Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol actual play podcast. 
a warm thanks to our players tonight, Ian for playing Leonard. Be sure to follow the show at Applied Mats on Twitter, and we will return in the next episode. Good night. As Lenny continues his work, a clearer picture of the investigation begins to form. But just as he's beginning to settle down, fate once again knocks down his door with brute force. Next time on Day in the Life, Part 3.